everybody. This is the Wild Ass Podcast, and I am your host, Wild Ass Craig. This is episode eight, and in this episode, I get to introduce all of you to Ryan Hager. Ryan is known as KidMoto22 on both Instagram and YouTube, where he has about 17,000 followers and subscribers. Ryan is also known in the podcasting world as one of the hosts of the Five Dirty Bikers podcast, where he is one of the original members. Living in Grand Forks, North Dakota, he's happily married to Tiffany, who he gives credit to for being his most supportive partner. They've been married 26 years and have two beautiful girls, Ava, 14, and Mia, 10. Ryan actually began riding in the early 80s as a passenger on a 79 FLH, where he first fell in love with his long trips and moto camping with his parents. As an adult, he was off bikes until 2003 when he purchased his own Kawasaki Vulcan 800 Classic. He went through a couple of bikes and now rides one of the best-looking road kings that I've seen. All that being said, let me introduce you to the guy. Ryan, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Craig. Absolutely. It's a pleasure to have you on. Uh, I feel like I'm having a celebrity on my little show here. (laughs) Oh, hardly. That is so (laughs) not true. (laughs) Well, you know, that's all relevant, right? Because in my world, I listen to your show every week, and uh, you're you're kind of a big deal in my world. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we've we've had really good we've had really good luck on our podcast and and it's it's been a wild ride. I mean, we started it in 2019 and it has really taken off. Um, we actually on Sunday just eclipsed our uh, 200,000 download. So it was a it was a pretty amazing milestone. So it's been uh, it's been a lot of fun. That is awesome. And I'm I want to talk about the podcast later on. And I think that was one of my questions was how many downloads that thing has had i know we talk uh, we probably talk every other week i know since i've started this podcast you've you've been a big help in telling me hey you know it everybody calls and says oh man i like what you're doing i like it it's cool but it takes somebody that cares to give you a call and say hey you could do this a little bit better and you've done that for me so thank you i appreciate that yeah absolutely i mean i think that you know when in the motorcycle world especially right you you reach out to somebody and more often times than not, if you're asking for help, you're talking, you know, you want to talk to somebody that maybe has done it, been through it, you know, knows more than you two, what, whatever the case may be. But at the end of the day, we're all looking for the truth, right? And, you know, I, I think it's best if you can, if you can do that and not hurt somebody's feelings, but really, you know, try to give them a hand up, you know, help them out. It's, it's always a better situation than just telling somebody, you know, kind of, the, the cherry on, on top of the cake or whatever. And, and that at least I I've tried to be as transparent as possible and just be a straight shooter when it comes to things like that, because I, I, at the end of the day, I think people appreciate that. Maybe not everyone does, but I like to think that they do. So, well, I know I do. And uh, to that, to your credit, we're trying a new microphone tonight. And I know just before we came on said that the sound quality on the last one was better. And yep. I, I appreciate you giving me that feedback. And I also appreciate you sticking with me through all that shit that we started with for sound quality. <laughs> but it, it, it sometimes was fun. it's just trial and error. Yeah, I mean, you, you know, you you know, when you open up Pandora's box and you think, you know, everybody on the other end, the the listeners, and, and you know, thank you all for listening to our podcast. But you know, it's not just as simple as just you know opening up a computer program and start talking. There's really a lot more that goes into any type of podcast and if you're not really ready to commit to it it can be extraordinarily daunting and 
you know, the only reason why any of us have any information is because we've all done the whole trial and error process. We've all, you know, started somewhere and, and found out what works and, you know, whether it's microphones or soundboards or different programs on the computer, there's, I mean, there's lots of ways to get your podcast out there. And I don't think there's any one way that is the absolute way that you have to do it, but you know, uh, there's a lot of things out there that a lot of tools that will help you in your process to get better. And, you know, the last two years has seen a boom in podcasts in particular. And uh, all of the things that you use for podcasts has, has, you know, gone up in price and in your investment. So your upfront investment is a lot more now than it even was, say, two, three years ago. Well, mine especially, <laughs> since it was just a, two, three months ago. But no, I, right. again, I just yeah. appreciate the, the input. And like you said, it's just a very daunting task. It's a lot more involved than picking up the phone, having a conversation and blasting it out there for everybody. So I appreciate yeah. you helping me learn it. Absolutely. Let's get to this because I, I don't want to make these about me. What I want to talk about is you. Let's help some people get to know you. One of the okay. things I mentioned in your bio is that you were a passenger in the early 80s back yeah. on that uh that 79 FLH, which I don't, you vaguely remember that bike, if I remember correctly, but how old were you when you were introduced to bikes? I was probably eight years old the first time I rode a motorcycle. I would say eight, maybe seven, but I think it's probably eight. Kind of the rule in the house was I had to be able to reach the passenger pegs. And then my mom's uh, ex-husband at the time, or ex-husband now, but husband at the time would, uh, you know, he'd, he'd do a walk around, right? So he'd, he'd teach me about the walk around just to go and shake everything, make sure nothing was loose. And if anybody knows anything about uh, late 70s, early 80s Harleys, shit shook loose all the time. So <laughs> you, <laughs> yep. you you always wanted to make sure that, you know, you started your ride um, pretty safe. That was a that was a kickover bike, so um, it had to be kick-started. And then uh, we moved quickly into a, a touring bike, and he had uh, an 85 FXRT. Um, and that was kind of the bike that I think, really cemented my love the other the other one was was rough it was just the two of us and you know it was a I, it was, I'm pretty sure it was a shovel head and so less a lot less refined the fxrt obviously was rubber mounted and so they kind of had uh more of the comfortable aspects of riding a motorcycle was involved in that that kind of touring motorcycle and that's when we started camping and and he actually had that bike a uh, retrofit with a sidecar so uh my mom and I, and he all went camping um, together with it and went to rallies and bike events and that kind of stuff. So that was certainly where I started was as a passenger. And, and anybody knows if you've done two up riding that there, there are some nuances to being a passenger on a motorcycle. You can't just jump on and, and just go because that passenger has a lot more control over the bike than you'd think. They shift their weight the wrong way. They lean too hard into a corner. All of that changes your riding. And so you definitely, uh, I definitely learned some lessons and got so comfortable on riding on the back of a motorcycle that I could actually sleep on it. So I've, I've seen that I've had, excuse me, I've had passengers that fall asleep. Renee does it all the time. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny. So when you were riding, I didn't, I, I knew the story of the, the 85, but I didn't know yeah. it had a sidecar. Where did you ride back seat or sidecar? I rode back seat. Uh, initially, the sidecar was for me, but it turns out that I wasn't heavy enough to keep it on the ground. So I, my mom ended up riding in the sidecar, and I rode on the back. So that was kind of uh, that was kind of my spot. So 
That's cool. I that's kind of funny. So did did the three of you get to have conversations? Like, could you hear each other, um, talk to each other as you're going down the road? You know, um, it was a, the, the very beginning of the comm systems where you had to be wired into each other. And my mom and her husband were, were wired up, but I never was. So it was most of it was just, you know, road sign language. And honestly, a lot of it was just my mom. Uh, when we would go through the mountains in California, um, she'd tap my leg and point over the side, knowing that I was afraid of heights. And she's, you know, pointing down to some you know, <laughs> death-defying cliff we'd be driving by. And I'm, I'm looking away towards the other side of the road because I, I didn't want to see it. But, you know, it's, it's hard to, when you're a kid, that perspective of taking in what you're doing. I mean, I had a lot of fun riding on the motorcycle, but I really didn't appreciate where I was riding at the time because, you know, I was 10. It didn't matter, right? I was just felt cool that I was on a bike, so. Oh, that's awesome. So you're afraid of heights? Are you still? Uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. I, you know what it is? I, I'm not afraid of being someplace high. I'm afraid of falling from someplace high. <laughs> <laughs> How does that affect you riding now? Does it at all when you're riding the side it of a mountain or not really? You know, it, do, it, it doesn't because I'm in control. So that's a, that's a whole lot different thing. And I think when you're when you're riding the bike, you have a lot more chance to look around, right? But when you're driving the bike, you're, you know, paying attention to the road and traffic and that kind of stuff. So it doesn't really give you a lot of opportunity to look over the edge of a mountain and think, oh, I wonder if I went off that, you know, you're just not thinking like that. At least, at least I don't anymore. Um, I know when we went through the Black Hills and I've been in a couple of places where it's been a little bit higher, I really have been um, more in awe of the scenery than afraid of it. Well, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, otherwise, uh, otherwise, uh, twisties and mountain riding wouldn't be in my wouldn't be in the cards for me. So probably not. So what? Uh, you know, she'd point, do that. What other? Do you have any cool stories that you remember from being a kid on the back of the motorcycle? You know, um, I I, re- I distinctly remember um, there was a there was a couple of times I remember we were on a a poker run and one of the guys that rode with my parents he got into an accident and his bike flipped. And he wasn't injured, but his bike was totaled, but he dislocated his thumb, couldn't ride anymore. And the truck that just pulled out in front of him and he kind of clipped the back end of the truck. And I I remember because they parked on the top of a hill and left me on the bike and everybody that was on the bike ran to help him or ran to the truck. And the guy in the truck was going to drive away. And uh, it turned out that the, the truck was a giant white moving truck, like just painted white. And it, the the person driving was a coyote, and so the back end was was filled with with people they were bringing over the border. And this was in the eighties. Oh wow! Yeah, and he was going to drive away, and and um, two of the guys jumped up on the side of the truck and basically turned the wheel, and so the truck they grabbed the steering wheel and turned it because he was driving away, and then he backed he backed up over the thing and he and they got the truck stuck in the sand so he couldn't go anywhere and uh, then waited for the cops and no one knew what was in the back. They just didn't want this guy driving away because he just about killed my parents' friend. But sure. And then I, I, I remember uh, when we were driving on the 79, I, I remember uh, we were coming back. It was night. It was dark out and the pipes on the bike had overheated and uh, had both cracked at basically the, the exhaust pipes broke and there was, there was blue flame shooting out below my feet. <laughs> going down the highway. Yeah, going down the highway. So that was that was a lot of fun. But 
Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, like typical, like very typical things that you would expect from riding motorcycles in Southern California in the 80s. I mean, you know, there there was there's obviously a, a pretty big club, club presence. There was then. And as a kid, you just didn't, you know, I, I never saw any of those guys as somebody to be afraid of or that I was um, intimidated, you know, because I, I was part of the group, right? So you just kind of, you know, I was a kid riding with everybody else. And so it wasn't really a thing. I mean, I had my, my jean jacket and vest with the sleeves cut off with all my touring pins on it, my big, you know, Harley Eagle on the back. And I mean, it was just, you know, what you, what the stereotypical, exactly what you'd expect from motorcycling in the eighties. I mean, when you, when you pulled up to the, to the campground and you put up your tents and everything, it was, just what you'd expect. I mean, everybody was sitting around the campfire and drinking beer at that night. And then during the day, everybody was doing the poker runs and toy runs and that kind of stuff. So I would say that during that time, and I look back on it now, it was very stereotypical of what you'd expect riding. If you look back on it, what you'd expect riding in the eighties to, to look like and feel like was kind of what I grew up in. So. Oh, it's cool. Do you still have that vest by any chance? I don't have, you know, I don't have mine, but I have my mom. She actually sent it to me a couple of years ago. Uh, I've had it for five or six years and it's got all of our original pins on it from all of the runs that we went on. And, and uh, yeah, it's super, it's super unique. In fact, I'm pretty sure I posted a picture on it of my Instagram probably already two years ago um, of that vest. And and it's just, you know, something I'll keep forever, but kind of cool. It sounds like it. Yeah, too bad you don't have yours. That would be awesome. Yeah, I, I, it's one of those things that, uh, I mean, it just kind of, uh, you know, my, my my mom got divorced, and that, you know, those are just one of the things that just got lost in the shuffle, you know? Yeah, bummer. That was all in the 80s. At what point or what age did you know that you were going to be a writer? You know, um, <clears throat> from that point on, my life kind of took a bunch of different turns. I spent a lot of time kind of traveling back and forth between my mom and my dad. And so, um, cause it was my mom's second husband that kind of helped me fall in love with motorcycling. And so it wasn't probably until I would say the early two thousands when I really started thinking about it again. And, um, I was working at, uh, an, in healthcare, which is what I work now. And a buddy of mine got one of the anniversary Harley sportsters. And, um, he said, uh, he said to me, Hey, you should think about, you should think about getting back on a bike. Cause he knew it was, you know, kind of part of my, my history. And, uh, I went to the Harley dealership and I walked around and it just sounds absolutely ridiculous. And, and maybe some people wouldn't even understand this, but I felt like I didn't deserve a Harley. I, I felt like I hadn't earned it yet. I hadn't been on a bike at that point in almost 20 years. And, um, I just didn't feel like uh, it was right for me just to, to buy a Harley. So, I mean, I know that sounds ridiculous to some people, but um, so I didn't. Um, I left and I went to the local power sports dealer and I bought a Kawasaki Vulcan 800 for essentially the same price that I could have gotten a Sportster for. And I started on that. It was a, a Kawasaki Vulcan 800 and um, it was a, it was a runner. I mean, I did nothing. I absolutely did nothing to it in the, in the five years that I owned it. I didn't change oil. I never put it on a battery tender. I, I, I'm sorry. I changed oil once in five years, but I did nothing to that bike. Well, it was, and, it was uh, good it oil. Was, Why would you want to get rid of it? Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but I, I, uh, um, 
I, I rode it for probably about seven years off and on, usually just seasonal riding. And at that point, I wasn't really doing any trips. My buddy um, got married and sold his bike. So I was just riding whenever I wanted to by myself. I remember I set a goal for myself one summer. And I, I remember I did not drive my Tahoe in the entire month of July one summer. I rode to work. Everywhere I went was on the bike in one summer. So I, I, I got... I got good use out of that bike, but I never took it on any trips. The farthest I ever went was a hundred miles from my house. So we were, my wife and I were in a bit of a transition in our lives and, and I needed to sell it. And so I sold it and uh, my, and, and we needed that money to do some things to our house before we sold it. My wife said to me, she said, I'll, you know, someday you can buy another bike. I promise you, you can buy another bike. And I said, you know, I, I knew my wife has always been supportive of, of any of my passions. And I knew that, that when she said that to me, she meant it. And so I was off, uh, um, I was off a bike again for about another year and a half. And um, I started a new job in a new location and um, finances just kind of lined up. And I remember it was a, it was a Tuesday. It was 1130 at night. I was looking at YouTube and um, I ran across, I don't know if it was an ad or something on YouTube about motorcycles. I started watching it and my wife was sleeping and I shook her awake and I said, someday's here. And she said, what are you talking about? And I said, someday for a motorcycle, it's here. And she said, okay. And she rolled over and went back to sleep. And they delivered my 2009 Nightster from the dealership four days later on a Friday. <laughs> <laughs> with approval. Yeah. Yeah. With <laughs> approval. Yep. She, I, I don't think she expected it to happen that fast, but. I, I looked, I found one, I kind of knew what I wanted, and I knew when I had that Vulcan 800 that if I was going to get a Harley, I wanted to get one that was uh, bigger, that had a little bit more um, power, and so I decided um, to go with the Sportster 1200 Nightster, and uh, had that bike for about two and a half seasons. And uh, I commuted back and forth to work. I, I worked about 30 miles from my home. I commuted back and forth to work. I, I didn't take that bike on any long trips. I, I rode it around town. And then I knew that I was ready to start my journey um, on long distance riding and just um, going on longer trips. And long distance for me, I know that I'm not a, you know, I'm not a 100,000 miles in 100 days kind of guy. But I, uh, I, I knew I wanted to do trips. I was interested in, in motorcycle camping and hadn't hadn't been camping at all in, in 25 or 30 years. So I was ready to, I was ready for that next, that next adventure. And that's when I bought my 2017 Road King Special. So it's a special, I was going to ask you about that. A couple of things that came to mind there. You're not a very small guy. You're, explain yourself because you're a bigger dude. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm uh, I'm six three. I'm about two hundred and thirty pounds. Yeah, so I'm I'm not really I'm not small, and so I I knew that when I I, I rode the Sportster, and it never really felt small because I had taller bars and I and I rocked them forward. It had forward controls, but I still was in that kind of clam shape or C shape or V shape, whatever you want to call it. I was a little bit more cramped up, and so. I knew that if I was going to do long distance riding, that I was ready to move up to a larger bike. And um, I wasn't ready at that point for a full fairing motorcycle. And I wanted to stay away from Chrome. And so the Road King Special kind of just clicked all my boxes. It was the, you know, touring platform, but a little bit stripped down, no radio, no frills, you know, but, but still a bike that could just chew up the miles if I wanted it to. 
And, um, and so I got that bike and, you know, it, it just, it opened up a whole new world for me after I had that bike. I, that's when I really started thinking about social media a little bit differently. And, um, that's when I really got serious about maybe thinking about stepping into the social media world and, and YouTube and, and doing more on Instagram and, and that kind of stuff. That's cool. I didn't see that transition coming at all. <laughs> that that was really, that transition was really just a way for me to, I think, kind of expand. I was very interested in, in meeting like-minded riders. And what I found was is that I found the same thing with the local dealership is it was, it was very, it was very difficult to find somebody that was interested in doing what I wanted to do with motorcycles. I wasn't interested in bar hopping. I wasn't interested in, you know, kind of that. I wasn't interested in the very, like, I don't know, maybe Midwestern or upper Midwestern crowd. Think the, the 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 ape hangers and get back whips and those kind of things. It just it, that didn't appeal to me. And I'm not criticizing those crowds of riders. That just was not my wheelhouse anymore. And so my stepping into the YouTube world was really about you know putting myself out there to you know to start to document my my own motorcycling history. And I thought about that it just a lot of it in terms of my own legacy. And that was that. Um, we all know when you post something online, it's there forever. And I thought, what a cool way to document this period of time in my life that, you know, my kids, my grandkids, you know, could look back and see, hey, this is something that my grandpa did that that was kind of cool, you know. And uh, I've always kind of thought about it in terms of, of that part of it. And, uh, and it's just evolved from there. I mean, I really started, I guess, on Instagram, just kind of posting pictures. And that's what started me making contacts with people and kind of getting to know people online, which sounds silly, but those all, a, a lot of those connections have actually formed into real live friendships. And then when I started YouTube and that really came about for me wanting to expand my, my horizons of motorcycling beyond just seasonal. So anybody that knows anything about the upper Midwest is we're very seasonal riders here. We can ride about five months out of the year, six months, if you're really brave. And uh, I just started watching YouTube to get my motorcycle fixed in the wintertime. And that's when I started discovering the whole world of online, you know, kind of YouTube motovloggers and influencers and things that there was a, there was a whole community of motorcyclists online and uh, just started making connections that way. And, and that really just exploded my uh, motorcycling adventures. It, it, they just took off from there. That's cool because you always see, I always see people on YouTube. I don't sit and watch a lot of YouTube, but yeah, I always kind of wonder what their story is and why they got there. So it's cool that now we know yours, I think. So thank you yeah. for sharing that. That's very cool. Um, Absolutely. About documenting this stuff for children, grandchildren. Let's talk a little bit about your personal life. You're married to Tiffany. You have a couple girls. Yeah. How often yeah. do you get passengers when you go out for a ride? Um, so my wife and I have done, um, I, I, you know, I'd like to do more trips with her, but she's still kind of working up to the long distance trip. We've done one, four straight days on the motorcycle. We went to, uh, Duluth, Minnesota and spent some time on North shore. And that was four straight days on a motorcycle. And she rode in every condition during that ride. It was 90 degrees all the way down to rain, 
Um, we hit wind, we rode in, you know, hilly areas in Duluth near the North Shore. So near, you know, kind of very, almost like a, a, coast, a coastline type ride. If you've been near Lake Superior, it's, it's gigantic, right? So it's just like riding near the ocean. And she was an absolute trooper. So she she really, you know, really embraced the whole experience. And we have comm systems so we can talk. She's a great passenger. She, you know, follows, you know, I kind of gave her all the lessons about riding. We, of course, rode short rides and around town before we ever did it. But ironically, my first ever passenger was my oldest daughter, Ava. And she rode on my Nightster with me. And uh, she rode just, you know, all short rides and in town. And then my youngest daughter, Mia, two years ago was her first ride. So when she was eight, she rode for the first time with me on my road team. She never rode with me on my Sportster. And she was actually really sad because every every year from the time that she could walk pretty much, she had me sit her on the bike to see how long it would be before she could reach the peg. Because she knew that she couldn't ride until she could reach the passenger peg. So the year that she knew she could reach the passenger pegs, I sold that bike. And she was afraid that the new bike was going to be too big for her and she wasn't going to get to ride. Oh, um, that's awesome but but she did she was big enough she she grew she's she's taller than her sister and she loves riding she actually has done uh she did a, i think last year last year was her first motovlog her and i did a motovlog together and i i kind of did a little 10 question and answer thing about what she loves about motorcycles and you know if she thought she would ever ride one one day and it was it, it's a really it's a really cool video that i'm i'm super glad that i had an opportunity to do that with her because it it actually inspired a few other people to do rides with their daughters and motovlog and talk about it. So especially as people in the in the motovlogging world that are that have kids inspired a couple of people to do the same thing. So it's kinda kinda cool. That's really cool. Or do you think either one of them are gonna ride? Have you gotten them dirt bikes? Have you gotten them on two wheels yet? No, um and we don't really have any property around our area that we could ride dirt bikes on. I think my I think my youngest has an interest in in riding her own bike one day i don't know so much about my oldest my oldest would still ride with me for sure you know she gets she's a teenager now and so she has her own interests. so she hasn't ridden with me quite as much anymore but i i really think my younger one she's embraced the whole idea a lot more she's a lot more adventurous than her uh older sister and and really i think is uh she's definitely one of those kids that if you tell her she can't do something she goes out and does it and so i can definitely see her being a being a rider someday and and really honestly i can't think of anything i mean i think it would be amazing if i could ride someday with all you know with my wife and both my girls on their own bike i don't know that that would come to fruition but certainly i I would love to uh would love to to someday take a trip with with my wife and my daughters and you know do do some type of motorcycle experience with them together i think that would be i think that would be such an amazing experience and so I'm hoping this season that I can get at least do one overnight camping trip with my youngest daughter. I think she would really, I think she'd really love to do a, an overnight camping trip. And so I'm hoping the plan, uh, even if it's just a short trip, just a hundred miles away or something, that it would be a lot of fun to take her camping. That would be really cool. Get her, get her involved, get her out there. I think yeah, and, it's and, been since yeah. we were kids that the stereotypical, you know, the girls don't ride, but. That's absolutely not true. They're very good riders, especially if you can get them started young. Yeah, and and I really try to make sure too that even on my own Instagram and through my own social media that I try to 
that I try to make sure that I have contacts with enough people, well, not enough females in the industry that I can show my girls, like, this is an example of some, you know, of a woman doing what she wants to do on her bike and not, you know, maybe what a man's telling her to do. You know, that there's, there's other avenues other than, you know, slapping a bikini on and standing in front of a bike and posing or, you know, working at an event as a bartender, right? I mean, and again, I'm not knocking those things. I just want them to know that they have more choices beyond something like that. Absolutely true. You know, and if that's the path that they choose, again, there's nothing wrong with that. I just, you know, I really want them to, to if that, you know, they're choosing that path because that's what they want to do, not because they feel like that's the only option for them. You know, it's like to be involved, the only thing I can do is sit on the back of a bike. That's that's not true. And, you know, or the, you know, well, I can only ride a Sportster. I can only ride. That's not true either. You know, girls ride big bikes. That's all of that's possible. It's just, you know, if, if you want to do it, then then I can I can help you find that avenue to help make that happen. Absolutely. Tell you what, we got a little campsite, a little camp area at my house. I'm sure you've seen pictures on my Instagram of the fire pit. So just ride over, oh. ride over and camp right there in the yard. We'll have a fire for you and everything. And I'll show, show, show her my daughter's dirt bike that, you know, you can't even, she probably can't even touch the pegs on. Well, she probably could. She's old enough now, but girls ride, yeah, girls be- ride well. So I'd love to do what I can to help you get her involved. Yeah. Yeah. It, it'd be, it'd be a lot of fun for sure. She's, she's interested and, in, and, in, you know, it's, um, it's, it's all about making the time too, you know, and I think that's, I think that's important. I think that's how you balance it is that is that if you can make the time for them and you can make the time for your passions, you're you're doing you're doing the right thing, right? You can have it all. So Absolutely. So about yourself, you've made the comment you work in the medical field. What is it you do? So my kind of official title is it's called the Director of Diagnostic Imaging. Essentially what that is, is I run a radiology department. So all of your CT, MRI, x-ray, mammography, ultrasound, nuclear medicine, echocardiogram. I'm, I'm a director, so I'm kind of, I oversee that, um, an entire radiology department in a uh, 22-bed critical access hospital. Wow, good for you! No schooling at all involved in that, I bet. No, no, not really. No, I, I, I have, I have two degrees, both, both very um, hospital or healthcare orientated. So I have my my degree in uh, radiologic technology, and then I have a healthcare management and administration degree. Well, as impressive as that is, I meagerly offer you my appreciation for your working in the the frontline field. For the last couple of years, especially, so thank you for that. Yeah, it's, absolutely. It's it's been uh, um, it, honestly, it's been nothing that we ever expected. Be working in healthcare, but being a part of it, it's always been. My wife and I both have had jobs that we serve. That's always been important to us to be of service. My wife's a teacher. I work in healthcare, but a global pandemic is not is not for the faint of heart. So it has definitely been the last. I would say two and a half, almost going on three years now, have been the most challenging of my career. And I've been in healthcare 21 years, so it's it's been a challenge. That says a lot. That's a good reason to get out and do some writing, isn't it? You're not kidding. You're <laughs> not kidding at all. What uh, what plans do you have for 22 on your own rides? What are you planning? 
Oh man, 22 is is uh, shaping up to be a pretty epic year. Um, we're gonna start our long rides probably Memorial Day weekend. We're heading out to uh, I, I ride with uh, about four guys around this area. We've been dubbed the White Walkers by our <laughs> by our friends that live in Southern states. So <laughs> we uh, we're gonna start uh, just with a like a, a, a weekend camp out in La Crosse, Wisconsin. So we're going to ride to La Crosse and just kind of ride around uh, that area um, in, in Wisconsin. And I think we're going to ride down uh, part of the river road in Minnesota. So we've, uh, we've, we use the Rever app, if you're familiar with that. And that's, that river road in Minnesota is marked as one of the best ro- riding roads in the state of Minnesota. So it um, is. And it actually, it actually goes all the way down to Illinois, where one of, our, one of my friends from uh, the Five Degree Bikers podcast lives. We're not going down that far. We had planned to ride this summer. I don't think we're going to do that, but we are going to ride down that road to La Crosse and, and ride around that area. So that's going to start Memorial Weekend. And then we have, usually we try to plan one trip a month. I do know that we're going to head to, we're heading down to Uranus, Missouri in July for over the weekend of the 15th of July for the Five Dirty Bikers Meetup. And um, that's the event that we host on the Five Dirty Bikers podcast. It's a very grassroots event. So it's no vendors. It's no bike shows. It's really just about a group of like-minded people getting together, sharing stories, sharing some fellowship, and just getting together and finding a cool place to ride. And so we did it in in Louisville, Kentucky last year. And um, we will be in Uranus, Missouri this year. And uh, it's right near St. Roberts, Missouri. And uh, we are doing that, like I said, that's in July. I know in August, we will be heading out to Montana to ride uh, Beartooth Pass and that area. And we might make an off-season trip to the Sturgis area. So we haven't quite decided. We, We still have September and maybe October and June where we haven't quite decided our trips yet, but we are, are making those plans very quickly. I think the other thing that's on the menu possibly is riding up to riding to Michigan. So like Mackinac Island area, we've talked about that. And I think uh, what was the other place that we were talking about this next season? There was one other location that was on our, that's been on our radar for this next season. I don't remember, but we, and we then typically we ride either a Saturday or a Sunday every weekend during the riding season. So my crew gets together, we pick a destination, we go ride there. We typically have lunch and ride home. And so at the end of our riding season last year, we rode to Bismarck. So we did a 500 mile day for tacos. So we rode 250 miles, had tacos and rode home. Seems like a good day. Yeah, yeah. We, we But that was at the end of our riding season. We don't want to start. Last year, I think we started our season with a a North Dakota um, Harley, Harley dealership trip. So we hit every dealership in, in North Dakota in 36 hours. So that was about a thousand miles in 36 hours. And we camped in Teddy Roosevelt State Park, um, which is all the way on the other side of North Dakota by um, the oil fields. Okay. How many Harley so, dealers yeah. are in North Dakota? Um, there are, well, there used to be six. I think there's only there are five now. Okay, I was going to say, I didn't think there'd be that many. There's more fence posts and people up there, so. Yeah, yeah, you're not kidding, yeah. <laughs> no, there can't be too many Harley dealers, let alone motorcycle shops, are there? 
No, in fact, there is uh, there was a dealership in my hometown here in Grand Forks that closed last year. That was part of the the close off that Harley did the last couple of years. And then there's one, basically one shop in town. There's people that do you know like side work out of their garage, but there's one like legitimate Harley centric shop in our town here. They're, and they're good. They're they're a very good shop. I've had um, some work done uh, with them. So. And I, and I like to do that. If you want your local dealer to stay open, your local shop to stay open, you need to bring some business to them. That's, you know, people complain that there's not enough of those local things around, but the only way that that's going to happen is if you support them. So. Absolutely correct. And you're not paying them, you know, a ton of money for changing that tire. You're paying them a ton of money for the experience they have and making sure they change it correctly. That's one big thing Absolutely. I hear is about pricing on tire changes. And it's like, you know, do it yourself one time, you'll pay it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. No. Yeah. I mean, there, there's, you know, and, and even some people are like, oh, I don't want to, you know, I can save that money. I can change my own myself. That's true. You can, right. But then when your bike breaks down two days before you go on a long trip and you've never developed a relationship with your local shop, don't expect them to do anything for you last minute. Yeah, you know what I mean? Right. But if you've developed yeah. a relationship and you've, and you've, you know, paved your way into a relationship with a, with a shop and your bike breaks down and you need to go on a trip two days later, they're a lot more likely to help you out because they know that you're their customer and that you spend money in their shop. Even, even if you buy, you know, even say you're just going to do your oil change yourself, that's fine. Buy the oil and buy the oil filter from your local shop. Are you going to pay a few dollars more? Absolutely. But you're just, doing that to build that relationship and keep that shop open and keep them in business. It's, it's a, it's those local shops are such an important part of, of um, our community. And if you want to keep them open, you got to throw some money their way. Absolutely. And I would say too, like, don't bitch about it. You know what I mean? Like when you go there and they say, how much is it going to cost? Then, then that's what you pay. Right. Don't, don't say, well, the local guy down the street's going to do it for me for less you're paying for the knowledge that they have that you don't have. So don't bitch about it, pay their price because otherwise, you know, you're, you're, you don't go to a, uh, you don't go to your local mechanic. And when they say to you, my rate is X number of dollars per hour, you don't try to negotiate the hourly rate. You just pay it to get your car. Paid. Do the same thing with your motorcycle. Or look at it like your, like your own employment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And so, and, and that's just, there, there's so many, I think there's so many like, small businesses within the motorcycling community, just like yours, that people can support that are, you know, that, that feed the community and, and, and it becomes about relationship building, you know, just, just like our, you know, our relationship and has turned into a friendship, you know, started, you know, started from conversations that were, you know, that were, that were motorcycle product related that turned into more than that. And, and, that happens so easily in the motorcycling community. It really does. I, I say every day that I am one of the luckiest people alive to get to do what I do every single day. It's awesome. And you as well. You get to sit, you know, once a week, visit with your friends, talking motorcycles. Sounds like you're riding every weekend. Life's pretty damn good, really. Yeah, I, it, it, for sure. I think I think that if you, you know, like anything else, if you put the work in and you put the time in, you're going to reap the, the, the benefits and rewards of all of those things. Right. And at the end of the day, just don't be a dick. And, you know, if you kind of follow that, 
pretty simple philosophy. I think you're going to find that that the motorcycling community is a is a pretty amazing and giving place. And uh, um, you start to build those relationships, and there's almost nothing that anybody won't. You know, you're on the road somewhere, and your bike breaks down, and you put out a message on Instagram, and you're probably going to have ten people that are going to reach out to you and say, "I can help you," or "I know somebody in your area that will." It is a small world for sure. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Talking about social media. Let's talk about Kid Moto. Where, uh, All right. where did the name come from? I, I've been asked that question, and I actually did a video on it that was uh, pretty important to me. It was one of my first probably five videos that I did. And so when I was, when I was younger, my, my grandparents, you know, like many grandparents in the upper Midwest, they had, uh, they had kids, and they had a lot of grandkids. And my grandpa was a upper Midwest farmer, and none of his grandkids that was local around him really had any interest in interest in farming but i i really loved it and so um i spent as much time with him in the summers when i was in north dakota as i could and you know usually spent about a week with him and riding around in the tractor and and driving grain truck and you know basically the the, the basics of farming and um he he always used to tell his buddies it was kind of a local joke that he had so many grandkids he couldn't remember their name, so he just started calling me kid. <laughs> and uh, and so that just stuck. That name, that that nickname, that moniker just kind of stuck. And he just he called me that his his whole life while he was alive. Just had that nickname for me, which was you know. And obviously he knew my name, but it was just kind of a standing joke, right? And so yeah. So that that and then obviously moto came from motorcycles, and then um, twenty two is just a number that's important to me, and so. That's kind of where that whole thing came from. That's cool. I didn't watch your videos, so I apologize. I did not see it, but I'm guessing now a lot more people know once this airs, more people will know how you got the name Kid Moto. Yeah, yeah. And it was uh, just, you know, just kind of, I just kind of threw together the things that, that made sense. And if anybody knows anything about, you know, making a, a name for a YouTube channel or for Instagram, you know, everything out there is taken. So <laughs> you have to... If you have something that's that's unique and important to you, typically that's going to be something that's not taken, and so um, that in itself became became easy to build around. Talking about that, looking at your so talking about your Instagram page, what uh, what type of stuff are you sharing on Instagram? Is it focused towards doing one thing, or is it more? Yeah, you know, life? I share it? I share a little bit of my personal life in terms of, you know, honestly, the only things for my personal life that I've really shared is like times with my kids on my motorcycle, with my wife on trips and kind of like vacation pics, you know, <laughs> but the rest of it is almost a hundred percent motorcycle centric. And, uh, and that's really what I use my Instagram for too, is uh, it's almost all motorcycle centric. It's, you know, podcast centric. I don't really dive into my work. I'm not a, you know, look what I ate for dinner tonight poster. I don't, I don't do anything like that. It's, it, it's, you know, all motorcycle centric late of, of late. I've posted um, some videos when I have gone to different events and, uh, and that really in this last year, I, I made a post of a flat track race that mama tried. And uh, two of the videos that I posted uh, absolutely went insane. And um, they combined for over 20 million views. And it was a hilarious video. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was pretty it was funny. Cool. It was pretty funny. Yeah. And so I, I just, I, I kind of hit that, you know, perfect video with the perfect music that made it just made it funny and it got shared 
a gajillion times and it's been copied, you know, that's a little bit irritating, but it's been copied and reposted on, on some repost websites and, and that kind of stuff. But I know it's been, it's been viewed on my social media over 20 million times. It's been viewed in social media. I would guess probably, probably twice as many times. So um, I've seen at least three other times people have sent this and said, Hey, isn't this your video? And I look on there and they have, 15 million views on a video that's not even there. So mm-hmm. they're just sharing the love. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, if they, if they give me credit, if they post it and give me credit, I'm fine. But when they post it as their own video, that that's a little bit, I don't, I don't like that. You know, that's to me, that's a little bit, uh, you know, you're, you're trying to, you're trying to get some, some type of notoriety off of something that you didn't create on your own. And, and I just, you know, I, I kind of disagree with the idea of that. And so even now when you put videos on, on Instagram, there's been a couple of companies out there and I won't say who they are, but they've ripped off some, some influencers videos and posted them on their own website. And so influencers have now we watermark all of our videos with our logos and, you know, and, and, and I'm not, I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. I'm just saying it's part of the, the kind of the situation. And so, you know, there's a, YouTube and Instagram really changed the world of marketing, especially in the motorcycle world with magazines kind of going by the wayside. There, there's been a, a lot more value placed on uh, a creator. And we've even had some conversations with companies that, that had creative departments that don't have those departments anymore. And they completely utilize influencers as their marketing department. Yeah, I know some companies that do that. Yeah, yeah, and, and some companies do it extraordinarily well, and uh, some companies that are very well known in the motorcycle industry do that, and and uh, which is uh, you know if, if you if it's done right and they engage the right people, it's a pretty great relationship that you can have in the motorcycling industry that you're developing a relationship with a company that has a footprint in the motorcycle world. That in itself pretty remarkable yeah it is and then when you like we did when you start a podcast and that podcast starts to gain traction and before you know it you have a voice in the motorcycling world and and that while as amazing as that is it's also kind of intimidating sometimes because you know you you get to this kind of place where you're like do i say that do i don't say that and then you know i don't know we we really tried to focus on just being um, as, as how would I say, I don't want to say unique because that's not the right phrase for it, as kind of humble and ourselves as we can possibly be, right? We're, we're just five people that really love motorcycles and, and really love the industry and really love the, the sports, if you want to call it that, whatever, however you want to describe it. And so we're just sharing our, you know, our take, our, our opinions of whatever we're talking about it. You know, one of the guys on our podcast always says, you know, 95% of what we say is bullshit and the rest of it is also untrue. So <laughs> that's funny. So let's, before we, I wanted to talk about the podcast, but before we talk about this, tell us the story of Kim Moto. How did, how did... <laughs> uh, yeah, that's, I will absolutely talk about Kim Moto because that's become a, a little bit of a phenomenon in this last year. It has. So uh, two years ago, we did a Halloween episode where we just talked about uh, on the, on the podcast, we did a Halloween episode and we talked about like haunted places you can visit on your motorcycle. And this year, um, true to form to the five dirty bikers, we 
we did a, a situation where we were like, we all decided, okay, we are going to dress up, but nobody, we decided amongst ourselves, we were not going to share how we were going to dress up. And so if anybody out there in, in podcast land knows me, like I, I described everybody before, I'm six foot three, 230 pounds. I also have a giant beard and I'm pretty heavily tattooed. And so I thought it would be, I thought it would be great to kind of play on the whole, you know, just turn that whole thing on its head and show everybody that, you know, really that motorcycling, sometimes we, we all take ourselves too seriously. And if you know anything about our podcast, we don't, I mean, we try motorcycling is supposed to be fun and it doesn't have to be all big dick energy all the time. And so we just get out there and, and try to have fun. And I decided that I was going to dress up as a woman for Halloween. And so my 14-year-old did the uh, the best uh, makeup job she could that was uh, over the top. And I got a wig and uh, a nice purple feather boa. And boom, Kimoto, Kimoto was born. And in fact, I'm pretty sure one of my daughters dubbed me Kimoto. So... So yeah, it was uh that's where Kim Moto came from and, and showed up on the Halloween episode and and since then I think it had people feeling a certain way because I've been getting lots of lots of Kim Moto requests. So <laughs> <laughs> it's funny, it comes up about every other episode, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and we get we always have somebody in the in the live stream that says something about Kim Moto. So I think I, I think what resonated I think with a lot of people was just the idea that you just don't have to take yourself so seriously, right? I mean I'm perfectly comfortable in my skin. I wasn't I wasn't going out of my way to make fun of somebody who, you know, maybe is more comfortable dressing as a female. I wasn't making fun of anybody. If anything, I was making fun of myself. And so, you know, because I maybe have, you know, with a big beard and tattoos and a, a you know, a big biker guy, right? I kind of have some very very masculine tendencies and so um or maybe what would be viewed as masculine tendencies and so I just put that out there like you know, just, just have fun with it. Just life. You don't have to, everything doesn't have to be so serious all the time. And, and it really resonated with, with some people, I think just like that idea of, of just cut loose, you know, let your freak flag fly sometimes. Absolutely. It was hilarious. So five dirty bikers, you mentioned earlier how you kind of transitioned everything to social media. You becoming, now you're an original of the five dirty bikers. Is that all part so that obviously is part of that transition, but how did all of that come together? So I, I got kind of uh, um, looped into a group text with five other guys that were all riders and there was doing, they were doing some event planning for a camp out. And during this group text, we just were sharing, you know, funny quips and, and this, this kind of this rolling conversation and somebody said, you know, we should make this into a podcast. And that's really how it was born. It was born out of a group text. And and then if, if you know anything about obviously working with a group of people, that sometimes you have situations where uh, it does and doesn't work out for everybody. And so we've had obviously a little bit of a transition over the course of the last three years of, of people that have joined and, and, and quit and some, some personnel changes and that kind of stuff. And and that's all, you know, internal portions of the of the podcast. And then before you know it, it got it got very big and we had to kind of treat it a little bit more like a business. And so we had to incorporate and do some other things to 
to really to really treat it like a business. And so, you know, while we are absolutely in it for the fun and the camaraderie and we're all great friends, um, we did have to transition it to a little bit more of a business model at some point. And, and we do treat it very seriously in terms of what that looks like as far as our relationship with vendors and sponsors and kind of everything that goes along with that. But at the end of the day, we share, we still share a group text. That's where 99% of our podcast information in terms of like topics and how we do our business and talking. I mean, I talk to the people that I do the podcast with. I talk to them every day. A lot of the members of the podcast, I talk on the phone probably three or four times a week. You know, I've, I've broken bread with them. I've shared, you know, I've slept in their house. I have met their wives and their children and um, we are truly very good friends. And so, and, and that makes it so much more fun because then it, it is a business, but it, but it's, we're, we're good friends and, and we're kind of an all or nothing deal um, in terms of it being, uh, you know, if we were deciding on a topic that we wanted to talk about and one person just really hated it, or we were going to have a guest on and one person just wasn't feeling that guest, we, we do something different. So everybody is kind of an equal share, kind of a situation um, as much as we can have it be that way. It's still a business, you know, obviously with the things that come along with that, but so, but it, but it's a, it's a ton of fun. And I work with some great people that have a great skill set in, in terms of like um, Dustin, who's on the podcast is kind of our creative guy. And he's done t-shirt designs for us. And he does all of our thumbnails and, you know, 99% of our editing is just his incredible talent is just in all of that part. And, and, you know, Tony knows a lot about technology and cameras and everybody just brings a different thing to the table. And, and those of you that, that know for the better part of our podcast um, in existence, we have four guys and one female writer. So um, that's been, that's been that way since our 14th or no, about 16th episode of the podcast is when we transitioned to having four guys and one girl. And I think we will probably keep some type of lineup like that intact as long as we can. Yeah, that's really cool. There's so about the podcast, for those of you that don't follow it, it's a video podcast. You do it on YouTube. I never watch it on YouTube. I always listen to it when it comes out on Apple. So how, how tough is that to coordinate for everybody? So we are five riders. We're in five different locations all over the country. We're located in North Dakota, two people in Kentucky, uh, one person in Illinois and one person in Virginia. And so we do, we record, we record a video um, with a really a, a video uh, software that's designed to do that with um, kind of like Zoom. We use one called, we use Zoom, we use StreamYard. So we, it wasn't necessarily always going to be a video podcast, but we found that easier from a conversational standpoint to be able to see each other when we're talking. And sure. so there's less, it, it's more of a normal conversation because the whole premise behind that podcast is this. You, you say you walk into a bar and you look in the corner and you see five people sitting at a table talking and you're like, oh, that person has a Harley shirt on. I'm going to go over there and start up a conversation with them. And you walk into a conversation that's already happening. That's the premise of our, of our podcast. It's, it's very informal. It's conversational. We don't really do a lot of research. If you hear us talking about a topic of motorcycling, it's typically because we have a knowledge base on that. That you know, like I said, my my motorcycling started in the '80s, so I've got a, a fairly vast 
you know, the knowledge base on motorcycles and, and, uh, and Tony's been riding since he was a kid. And, and so we, we have a good, you know, a knowledge base and the other people have been riding less time, but they've been all in in the time that they've been riding. So they have a, a very good knowledge base too. And we all ride different styles of motorcycles. They're all Harleys, but they're all different styles. And so we have a bunch of different perspectives and we all ride a little bit differently. I ride long distance. Two of us ride long distance. The, the other three, Justin's kind of trying to do long distance stuff. Tony will never ride long distance. Um, <laughs> and, and, and Brittany is, is a, a fairly new rider. She's been riding about a year and a half to two years. So it, it's, you know, it's, it's just a great mix of people, uh, a great friends that I, that I really enjoy. And we have, this last year has been an absolute banner banner year for us. It started out kind of ending. Um, we had some personnel changes at the end of the year, but right after those personnel changes, like kind of during that transition time, we were nominated by our fans for um, the Cycle Source Awards. If anybody knows, Cycle Source Magazine does a variety of awards, and those awards that they give out are are voted on by people in the industry so when they start posting on their instagram about the cycle source awards you go on to a website and you vote for all of these different categories they have best artist and best painter best female painter uh best bike builder best you know new custom part new you know they have i think there's 20 categories and anyway they had media release of the year and we were nominated and and we were like this is an absolute amazing thing that we were nominated we were nominated in a category with some pretty heavy hitters that were all part of the industry we were the only we were the only media outlet that didn't that wasn't connected to the industry somehow that were just five people that were on the outside looking in and um we had done a really good job in the previous kind of year and a half kind of cementing our place as a solid motorcycle podcast and then we won the 2021 media release of the year cycle source award and that was and if anybody knows anything about cycle source uh, it's chris and heather callen they are uh, just icons in the motorcycle industry both of them are and have a deep 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 history of time spent in the motorcycle industry and so many aspects of it and uh like I said, to be nominated was an absolute honor. To win was totally unexpected. I mean, we didn't even know we got nominated. One of our fans actually sent us the link and said, hey, you guys were nominated. That was absolutely amazing. And one of our fans reached out and told us when we won. They actually, um, uh, the Callens announced it on their um, show that they do on Sundays. And somebody was watching that live stream and they, and they sent us a message and said, you guys just won this award. And we were like, what, what did we win? What are you talking about? And uh, we found it and, and re reached out to them and we, we've had the calendar on our podcast. It was an absolute joy. We will be joining them hopefully uh, within the next month or so on, on their Sunday show. And uh, that was kind of how we, we began 2022 was, was winning that award. And then last Sunday, Actually, when I, I don't even say last Sunday, three days ago, we just hit our 200,000th download of our podcast. And again, that's just all credit to the people that are out listening to our podcast. And we have had a, an amazing ride. It's been a joy talking to some of these people that are in the industry, some people that are are, are major influencers. We had one of my and Tony's personal heroes. Uh, an 80s skateboard icon, Steve Caballero, we've had on our podcast. We had 
a guy that holds a Guinness Book of World Records for riding across two continents. And, and he, he was on our podcast and he had a discovery show. And so we've had just some, some amazing opportunities of some people that we've had on our podcast that have been, it's been such a, such a great opportunity. And, and through that process, we've made friends with people like Jared Weems. And if anybody uh, knows who Jared Weems is, Jared Weems is a custom bike builder. He builds mainly Triumph motorcycles. He's out of Florida. And um, he he now has a a motorcycle that will be displayed in a museum that he built off of a, a replica of a David Mann painting. And so he was actually giving that bike away for charity. He gave that bike away to the Forgotten Angels charity in Florida. Um, the person that won it was then contacted by another person who bought it, then then donated that bike to to a very well known museum. So that. It has been that was an amazing experience to to get to know Jared and become Jared's friend. And um, now we are on the Five Dirty Bikers podcast are going to are, are working with Jared Weems um, and Blockhead. If anybody knows who Blockhead is, he's an influencer in the motorcycle world who um, has gotten to be pretty large and uh, I would say pretty to very large in the, in the motorcycle world. And opened up his own shop in Florida now through his, you know, social media content and everything. So he has his own his own shop, and he works with a, a master Harley mechanic, and they continue to put out content. And so we're going to be working with Jared Weems and Blockhead to do a charity bike build this year. And so, well, when I say this year, I say you know it, it'll be within a calendar year. Um, Jared is doing a bike build. He was a invited builder to uh, Born Free this year. And so we have to wait till he's done with that. Then we're going to be getting a Sportster and we're going to be building a Sportster chopper with Jared Weems doing the majority of the fabrication and Blockhead and his crew are going to do the engine work. And um, between the two of them, they're going to build this bike and we're going to raffle that bike off for a autism charity that um, Dustin that's on our podcast has has picked out. So if any of you out there know anything about our podcast or have listened to it, one of our members, Dustin, has a child with autism. And so we've always been very passionate about and connected to whatever charity that directly is connected to something that Dustin is working with. And so we kind of let him go out. He picked a charity and that's kind of where Jared came in because Jared also has a son with autism and that's kind of the connection there. And uh, we got people fired up about it and passionate about it. And we will have sponsors of some pretty big companies in the, in the motorcycle industry that are going to be working with us. And I, I can't, I can't say any of those yet because we have to get the motorcycle and we have to start the process, but we did a online vote through our own community through the 530 bikers discord so we have a discord which is a, a chat server and it's free to join so you can go to our website www.530bikers.com you can jump on there and join our discord that's absolutely free and it's basically just a chat server for like-minded motorcyclists we have about 560 people in that community right now that are in a uh, part of that community and um through that community we basically took 10 different versions of Sportsters and we did a March Madness bracket 
and had everybody vote on what they wanted and uh, Chopper won out in the end. So so we will be building a Sportster Chopper and it's going to be a definitely going to be a custom build by Jared. So it's going to have Jared's take and it's going to have a go fast motor in it and it's going to be a lot of fun. The Chopper won by a landslide, didn't it? Uh, when it got down to the end, the chopper won by the land side. Yeah, there was some some voting kind of in the middle where there was a couple of bikes that were really close. But at the end, at the end, the end voting chopper pretty much just hands down won. But yeah, it 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 did win out, and and which is fine. We, you know, if we were being selfish in the Five Degree Bikers podcast, we would have liked to seen um, something, you know, kind of out of the box. But I think that people. You know, everybody in the community, they want to see a Jared Weems chopper. And so that's what we're going to do is a Jared Weems chopper. So yeah. we're, we're super excited about that. And uh, Jared's, uh, Jared's son has already dubbed it, dubbed it the Harvey Danielson. So that's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, is he, I'm, I'm assuming it's going to say Harvey Danielson on the side, on the tank instead. Uh, of, we, we, I hope so. Absolutely. Absolutely. We hope so too. I, in fact, if it were, if it were me, I would have a very traditional Harley logo painted on it with the with the name Harvey Danielson instead of Harley Davidson. I think that would be absolutely fantastic. But but we're we're not that far into the build yet, so we have we have a long way to go before we get there. But yeah, and, and uh, one of the really cool things about this is the personal touch for Jared is that his uh, his son is going to be working with him on this bike. So um, that's super exciting for us. And then we're hoping at some point we will all be able to make a, a trip out to Florida as a group or even individually to be able to get out there and take pictures with the bike and ride with Jared and, and ride the bike ourselves before we raffle it off. So, um, yeah, we're, we're really excited about it. I bet. Can I always head down for Biketoberfest? That's another reason everybody yeah. can go down to Florida. Yeah. Yeah. We don't, we don't know about the timing of everything yet. Cause like I said, it, Jared doesn't have time to work on it until after his, uh, after his, his bike build is completed. And so, and, and we're still on the hunt for a bike. So if anybody out there in podcast land knows of a, of a, uh, a late model Sportster, preferably uh, pre-carbonated, or we're looking for a carbureted Sportster, so, so pre-fuel uh, injection, uh, even better if you, if you know somebody that could donate one to us, we, w- we would be super excited about that. But uh, yeah, we're, we're, still, we're still searching for a bike because we, you know, we kind of, we, we would like to do this, you know, obviously a budget build and, and from that perspective, because everything is out of, out of our five degree bikers pocket. So we are um, donating our money, you know, money from our Patreon that we have to go towards purchasing the bike if, as we need to, if parts, paint, you know, all of that kind of stuff. So because it is a charity build, the more people that we can shed a light on in the community that would be willing to donate time, services, parts, bikes, everything, we will be highlighting all of those individuals throughout this whole process. So um, with the number of, of uh, people that listen to our podcast and downloads, I can tell you that it would be national and international recognition for any of the people involved. So that would be very cool. You know, you've kind of made my job pretty easy. I think you've checked every box of every question I was going to ask or thing I wanted to highlight for the, the five dirty bikers. <laughs> <laughs> the only one left is what are your goals for the show? You know, we've been asked that a few times and, you know, we've kind of all said as long as we continue to have fun, um, as long as we continue to enjoy what we're doing, as long as we continue to grow and get traction on it, um, we're going to do it as long as we possibly can. Do I think that the lineup will change? I think that 
we're all, pro- we, we've talked about it. I mean, we're all one major life change away from not being able to be a part of it because it does take a, a significant commitment. You know, we try to record with all five members every week. There, there are times when we have commitments, you know, obviously, you know, family comes first, that kind of stuff. But, you know, to be a part of the podcast, you have to be willing to donate or to, to dedicate some time to it. And so um, that's just part of the process. And, and not only time on the podcast recording, but time outside of the podcast doing what's required from a social media perspective, what's required from a content creation perspective, all of those things take time. And so that's, that's a part of the deal if, if a person is going to be a part of the podcast. And so between the actual podcast continuing to grow, I mean, I, I hate to say this, but we would all love it if it became a syndicated show. I mean, that would be absolutely amazing, right? Uh, there are a few podcasts in the world that, that, that get to that point that can be syndicated, that can be, I don't want to say national because we're already national. Anytime you put a podcast out there for consumption, it's already national because anybody can download it from anywhere. Right. So, um, but a syndicated show that had, it had enough sponsors that we could live off of would be absolutely amazing. I don't know if the motorcycle community is big enough for something like that to happen. We talked about branching out and, and talking about different topics, but we're not quite there yet. There's so much untapped, potential in the motorcycle world that we haven't even scratched the surface of yet that i think we have content for as long as we want to within the motorcycle community but that and growing our event i mean the five dirty bikers meetup that we have and and we didn't name it that to be you know to, to look for a pat on the back we just named it that as as amount of recognition you know it's always been a grassroots event we all we know that as these events grow, they kind of sometimes morph into something maybe that you didn't start it as. So we're, we're really working with that as organically as we can. It's not a, like I said, it's not a bike show. It's not a, it's not a competition. It's, you know, if you're going to go to this event, you should know that it's going to be about fellowship and it's going to be about riding and it's going to be about making connections in the motorcycle world. We're not, you know, we don't do biker games. We, we do some things obviously that are fun and, and we have some things planned um, and we try to do sponsor giveaways. So anybody that's involved with our podcast, we always reach out to sponsors and ask them to donate so we can have some things to give away for people that show up. And what I always tell people is, is make, you know, don't make it about the destination, make it about the entire trip, right? So if you're, if you're driving from three states away, make it about you know, the whole thing, the trip there, being there and the trip back should all be part of the experience. You know, don't just crush the miles and then get there and be disappointed that the, the event is not what you thought it was because, you know, we, we are clear and try to be as clear as we can to everybody that it's not a, it's not a Sturgis, it's not a Daytona. It's, it's a really grassroots kind of, uh, um, kind of situation. Perfect. And this year, everybody's riding to Uranus. So how can it be awesome? Everybody's riding to Uranus. We're gonna <laughs> we're gonna invade Uranus. So be prepared. Yep, be prepared. And if you're tuning in to the Five Dirty Bikers after this, then uh, be prepared to hear Uranus jokes a lot. There, yeah, and and yeah, and, and we we're called the Five Dirty Bikers for a reason. So it's not your grandmother's podcast. We are we are strong on uh, strong on the language and innuendo. So we don't go out of our way to offend anybody, but we're also you know, don't play it with your kids around and then call, and call me and, and tell me that your kid learned all kinds of swear words from me because that will happen. <laughs> it might. Yeah, like I said, I think you've made this very easy for me. We've 
touched on everything. Anything you want to mention before we get to my favorite part of the show, the five no, questions? No, no. I, I, I think I think I have. Uh, I think I've put it out, put out as much as I as much as I can. Yeah. No. It's it's. This has been awesome. So you've listened to the show now. I know that. So you you've heard all five of these questions, which prompts me to think of I better come up with a couple other thinkers for so I can throw them in and mix them <laughs> up for people. But so you got a little bit of an advantage, but the five questions obviously designed to make you think. And uh, yep. I love the answers I get. So the first one, what is something you believe that other people think is insane? I actually said this earlier and, and uh, I said it, um, I think you can have it all. I, I know that that's a, a bit of a cliche statement, but I, I think that I've seen a few times in my life where people, um, they get married and they have children and, and they think that they have to be a certain way and that, you know, the way that they were prior to getting married or prior to having kids is not going to be acceptable when they have kids or when they have a job and, and they, you know, they, they feel like they can't be who they were prior to that. And, and I think that that's, I think that's absolutely the wrong way to look at it. If any, if there's any lesson to be learned from the last two years, people need to, to know that it's an absolute fact that life is short and um, nothing, nothing is guaranteed. Right. And so in my house, we believe in living our life, which is, you know, a, a lot more surrounded around, you know, if you've heard the phrase buy the damn bike, right. Uh, so many people waffle around making these decisions of whether they should or shouldn't do something. And at the end of the day, when you're old, and you're in a nursing home, the only decisions you're going to regret are the ones that you, um, that you didn't make, right? The decisions that you didn't make. I mean, very few people regret making a decision or, or saying the word yes. So. I agree. Very well said. Second question. What is the best or most worthwhile investment that you have made when it comes to your world on two wheels? Uh, uh, I, I thought about this question probably one of the most, and there's there's two there's two things that I that I really need to mention. The number one thing that I need to mention is um, my support structure, and when I say that, I really I'm really talking about my wife and my kids. Um, my wife is absolutely my biggest supporter of my passion about motorcycles. She knows they're inherently dangerous, but she also knows that um, riding a motorcycle and being involved in this community is not it's not what I it's not what I do. It's part of who I am. It's absolutely a part of the way that I identify myself. And I think having my wife as one of my biggest supporters is, has always been one of the best investments. And that was all about just being open and honest with my wife and, and being transparent about my feelings about motorcycles and her knowing that, you know, I don't go out to be reckless and do things dangerous. I believe in, in safety gear that's not to say that I'm not going to ride in jeans and t-shirt, but I always wear a helmet. You know, I, I am a, a safety conscious rider in terms of, you know, knowing what my skills are, practicing my skills, knowing how to emergency brake, doing all these things. And some people might think that that's, you know, they're like, Oh, well, you know, he's not a true motorcyclist. And, and that might mean something different to everybody else, but that goes along with having it all. Right. And so investing having that investment in my wife as my greatest supporters my number one and number two would absolutely be the investment in um the podcast has been one of the best things to happen to me in the motorcycle world and not because it's been successful 
but because of the relationships that I've been able to develop along the way um, with people like yourself, um, with um, my friends on the podcast that I, that, I, uh, that I work with, and the relationships and the real genuine friendships that I've made because of that podcast are, are absolutely invaluable to me. And so that, that would be the second thing. That's awesome. Two great, great answers. Let's see. So that leads us to the next one. What is the worst advice? And you probably get this being on the podcast. What is the worst advice you see or hear being dispensed in our world? You know, we, we, we talked about not necessarily this question, but the idea when we were talking about modding motorcycles, when somebody says that this is the only right bike, this is the only right modification. This is the only, you know what I mean? Um, the thing that I love about motorcycling in general, especially Harley Davidson's, is that we buy a stock bike, right? We take a part, a perfectly good brand new stock bike and take all these great parts off it and put a bunch of stuff on the bike that we want to see on the bike. Right. And so, you know, when, when people, when people tell you, Oh, you, you did that wrong or you didn't, you know, if they're telling you that because you've inherently done an install wrong and it's dangerous, then yes, please tell someone. Right. But if they're telling me that because they don't agree with the style or they don't agree with the, the, you know, what I've done to my bike, fuck off. I'm sorry. Right. It's my motorcycle. I'm riding it. So it's the way that I want it to look. And, and so, you know, I, I think in internally in the motorcycle world, I just, I don't think that that's, I don't think that that's great advice when, when people are telling you it should only be one way, right? Because we all know that, great choppers and great custom builds and great, you know, people in our industry were not people that, that let somebody else tell them that something should be a certain way. I love it. So the next question, do you have any asks or requests for my audience? Um, I think that I hope that everybody right now is looking at motorcycling um, differently than we did 20 years ago. And in terms of your audience or even the 5W Bikers audience, if you ride a motorcycle, I think that you should be at some point in time taking the time to be a ambassador for motorcycling, right? If somebody has asked you a question, take the time to answer that question. Even if you think it's dumb or you think it's lame, they're asking you because typically most of the time it's because of genuine interest. And if you think back to the very first time you rode a motorcycle, the very first time you walked into a Harley dealership, it's intimidating as hell. And if you're going to be that dick that's not willing to answer those questions or help somebody out, then stop riding. But I think that we all should be ambassadors of what we love and we should help new riders. We should start, you know, cultivating that, that process. And, and uh, I, I think that everybody out there that's listening should, should think about that a little bit and should spend some time and, you know, maybe decide, I'm going to do this one thing next year. That's going to, that's going to be a positive thing in, in motorcycling. That's great. And that actually made me think of something. So I'm, I'm going to cut in on you once when the other thing I see a lot of people do, and this scares the shit out of people and keeps them from getting on motorcycles is you've never ridden a motorcycle before. So let me take you for a ride. And then I take you for a ride and I don't, care about what you're thinking or fearing or feeling i'm just going to show you how cool i am and how fast i can ride that is absolutely the worst thing you can do take it easy you know go slow make sure your passenger's okay right introduce them 
in a way that makes them feel comfortable and makes them want to get involved and want to go farther and do more things on a motorcycle. Would you agree? Right. It just, it just makes sense. I've, I've taken so many new people for rides that, um, you know, they, they would never get on again because the last person, you know, their last boyfriend was on a crotch rocket and scared them to death where, you know, we just took it, went slow, didn't go very fast, didn't go very far and made sure they were okay with it. Just better results. So not to cut in on you, but I think that's a, a, another point that needs to be made. I like what you're saying. No, I think that's, I think that's absolutely true. And I think that goes back to, you know, I mean, what, just what you explained was exactly how I answered that question. Right. I mean, you're giving back, you're potentially making a new rider. You're showing somebody that it's something to be loved, not something to be feared. You know, it's something to certainly be respected, but you know, and, and you don't have to like, you don't have to tough guy image everybody either. You know what I mean? absolutely more most if you pull up to a gas station and somebody's staring at you it's not because they think that you're going to rob them it's because they're curious (laughs) and you're doing something that they wish they could be doing right even if it's just an adventure you're 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 doing it and and they wish they could be or or they're envious or they're jealous or whatever or they just are interested but you don't have to tough guy them right you don't have to stare them down and and you know whatever there's plenty of time for that if you want to do that, but you're not going to build new writers and build this community because we all know that this community didn't start that way. So, you know, you don't have, it's not, that's not a requirement to ride a motorcycle to do that. Absolutely true. I think I touched on this, um, but give us, give us your handles. Where can we follow you? Um, So you can find me on Instagram and YouTube at, Moto, that's my handle for both Instagram and YouTube. You can find me on the Five Dirty Bikers podcast, um, and you can find that on Instagram and YouTube, and it's Five Dirty Bikers, obviously. And you can find us also uh, on our website, www.fivedirtybikers.com. That's about everything that's on there. And we do have a merch site. We have a link to donate if you wanted to donate to our to our chopper build. We have a Discord that's free. If you really like our podcast, you can join our Patreon and support us because everything that we do on the podcast all comes out of our pocket. And so we like to subsidize a little bit. And we typically um, give back to the community through that. So we have giveaways from our sponsors and we do charity things. And so that's all kind of a part of our process too. So that would be the places that you could find me on social media. Very cool. I will put a link in the show notes to KidMoto22 on Instagram and YouTube. So you guys will be able to click, uh, I, I think, I don't know. Can you click through these links on Apple? Seems like you can. Yeah, usually, yeah, if you copy and paste the links from, from yeah. the area, from yep. the places you can, you can. Uh, they're usually, they'll usually be that blue or whatever to show that it's a link. Yep, okay. That's what I've been doing, and, and I guess I've never actually looked back at my own podcast to see if it works. I'm just remembering that from seeing others. So, Anyway, that's what I'll do. I'll put those links in the show notes as soon as this thing goes live. Folks, if you like what you're hearing, make sure you hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode. You can follow the adventures on Facebook or Instagram by looking for The Real Wild Ass. And, of course, I am Wild Ass Craig. Thank you all for listening, and uh, we'll see you again in a couple weeks. And, of course, thank you again, Ryan, for coming on the show. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on, Craig. I really appreciate it. And it's been a really good time. Good to hear. Thank you so much.